Hello, I am Dr. Parinita Singh, Oculoplasty Fellow, presenting episode of snippets titled Recent Advances in the Field of Oculoplasty. I would like to invite Dr. Kirti Koka, who is an Associate Consultant in Orbit Oculoplasty, Reconstructive and Aesthetic Services at Shankar Netralia, Chennai, to join this session. Today, we shall discuss how we can apply our knowledge of recent advances in our clinical practice. Thank you, Parinita, and I'm glad to be a part of this interesting episode. So, Parinita, yesterday I saw a 37-year-old female patient in my clinic. She was recently diagnosed with Graves' disease and complained of prominence of her right eye associated with diplopia. Her endocrinologist referred her to me for an eye examination. What is the importance of an ophthalmic evaluation in such patients? Thyroid eye disease or Graves' orbitopathy is an autoimmune condition that can be debilitating, disfiguring and even potentially blinding. The incited inflammatory response causes fluid accumulation in extraocular muscles and orbital fat. This in turn causes protrusion of the eyeball, lid retraction, double vision and in severe cases even optic nerve dysfunction. Thyroid eye disease is characterized by an active or inflammatory stage and an inactive or fibrotic stage. Treatment depends on the stage, activity and severity of the disease. Most patients with Graves' orbitopathy have mild disease that requires nil or minimal intervention. For the minority of patients with moderate to severe disease, multiple medical and surgical interventions may be required during different stages of the disease. That is perfectly right. My patient had a unilateral upper eyelid retraction, which made her eye look very prominent. We know that lid retraction is the most common sign in patients with thyroid eye disease. So, are you aware of any recent advances pertaining to my patient? Yes, Dr. Kirti. Recently, non-surgical modalities like injection triamcinolone acetonide, fillers and injection botulinum toxin have gained popularity based on the activity within the muscle. Triamcinolone acetonide injection, which is cheap and easily available, can be given into the levator muscle through a transcutaneous or transconjunctival approach as an outpatient procedure. A dose of 0.5 ml or 20 mg has shown to be effective in reducing upper lid retraction in active thyroid eye disease. Hyaluronic acid filler injection can also be used to improve upper lid position for patients with mild eyelid retraction in both active and inactive stages of thyroid eye disease. 5 to 7.5 international units of botulinum toxin injection into the levator palpebris superioris muscle can also be used as a temporary measure in patients with moderate to severe lid retraction. That's right. In fact, until recently, intravenous steroid injections were the mainstay of medical management for active thyroid eye disease. However, we have some other very promising drugs now. Do you want to tell our listeners about the other drugs that can be used? Sure. Teprotumumab is an FDA-approved insulin-like growth factor 1 receptor inhibitor. It is available as an injectable form 
and multicentric clinical trials have shown its efficacy in active moderate to severe thyroid eye disease. With the discovery of this drug and its successful role in medical decompression in active thyroid eye disease, we may see a steep decline in rehabilitative and surgical interventions. However, it is not currently available in India. Rituximab, on the other hand, is also very effective. It is a monoclonal antibody against CD20 and is easily available in India. Another monoclonal antibody against interleukin-6 receptor, tocilizumab, has shown promise in refractive Graves orbitopathy. But at times, patients may not respond to medical management and may warrant a surgical decompression, which involves removal of the orbital fat or one or more of the orbital walls. A CT scan is required to delineate the amount and the areas of bone removal before the surgery. This surgery can now be performed through a minimally invasive lid crease incision, which is very well camouflaged. Recent reports have shown the efficacy and safety of an ultrasonic aspirator, that is Sonopet, over the conventional drill or chisel and hammer for bony decompression. Dr. Kirti, since we are talking about recent advances, I wanted to discuss something I was reading about. Lymphangioma, a common vascular malformation seen in children, is now more accurately termed venolymphatic malformation. Earlier, it was treated with surgery, which was difficult owing to the ill-defined nature of the lesion. Do we have any alternate options? Times have changed and now sclerotherapy is the standard choice of management. Injection bleomycin is what we use at our institution. It is an anti-cancer drug and has clearing effect on the vascular endothelium. This injection is given under ultrasound guidance at a dosage of 0.25 to 0.5 international units per kilogram of body weight. Ultrasound aids in the localization of the lesion and also monitoring of the needle position while aspirating and injecting the sclerosing agent. An ultrasound-guided injection thus prevents any undue damage to the vital orbital structures. However, sometimes multiple injections may be needed for a complete response. That's very interesting. Another very common vascular lesion in children is capillary hemangioma. Do we routinely use oral propranolol? Yes, it is very effective for capillary hemangioma of infancy. However, oral propranol is a systemic drug and has its side effects. Topical application of 0.5% timolol malleate gel is also effective in the treatment of superficial infantile hemangiomas. They are comparable to oral propranol and possess less risk of inducing systemic adverse events. Deep hemangiomas, on the other hand, respond better to oral propranol. More recent studies have shown the efficacy of intralesional propranol for periocular capillary hemangiomas. However, further studies are needed to substantiate this. Interestingly, timolol drops are very effective in shrinking conjunctival vascular lesions which are more commonly known as pyogenic granulomas. They work by causing vasoconstriction and inhibition of the vascular endothelial growth factor production. 
This is a simple treatment modality as opposed to the older options such as surgical excision, electrocautery, and laser ablation. Okay. Something else that we routinely seen in the OPD is a chalazion. Everyone is aware of incision and curettage, but many patients are not willing to undergo any procedure. So, do we have any other options to offer? For chalazions, we can offer options such as intralesional 5-fluorouracil and triamcinolone acetonide. Only 0.1 ml is required per lesion. These are especially useful in cases with multiple, marginal, and medial chalazions. But sometimes people require more than one injection, and hence it is very important to counsel the patient before giving these injections. Recurrent chalazions with severe Meibomian gland disorder have also shown a good response with intense pulse light therapy and low-level light therapy. It's like killing two birds with one shot. So, even this can be offered as a non-surgical option for few patients. Talking about technology, one of the most common surgeries that we uh, see in the field of dacryology is dacryocystorhinostomy. Most surgeons do the routine external DCR. However, endonasal DCR surgery has come a long way. Initially, it was not at all popular among ophthalmologists. But now, multiple studies have shown comparable success rates and we are doing it routinely with good results. Yes, I have also heard that recent 3D-enabled 4mm rigid telescope like TipCam or Carl Sotz for nasal surgeries has shown to enhance depth perception, dexterity and precision compared with the routine 2D intraoperative views. It is very good learning tool for beginners too and helps picturize the nasal anatomy better. Another area where I have noticed that technology has made a huge difference is in orbital and facial fractures and trauma. What are your thoughts on that? So complex fractures can be quite disfiguring and their repair needs meticulous planning and accuracy. The vital orbital structures need to be protected at all times during the procedure. Intraoperative navigation, which has its roots in neurosurgery, is now being used in complex fracture repairs with more predictable outcomes. In general, titanium and porous polyethylene implants are preferred by most surgeons worldwide. However, the emergence of composite and absorbable implants has strengthened the armamentarium in recent years. The use of stereolithographic models and customized implants with newer materials such as polyether ether ketone has enabled us to provide an excellent functional and cosmetic outcome in complex orbital fracture repair for most patients. Thank you, Dr. Kirti. It was a very good learning experience for me. I hope this was just as interesting and useful for our listeners too. Thank you for listening to us and stay tuned for upcoming and exciting episodes of Snippets. Kindly fill the feedback form.